Welcome to That's Derm Good. I'm Janelle Ball, and I'm excited to bring you thought-provoking conversations about biologics, specialty medications, treatments, and so much more. I'll be chatting with some amazing guests about access, affordability, and advocacy. You're really going to enjoy this show. Today, my guest is Geraldine Arneson. She is a pharmacist, Medicare benefits counselor, and a financial navigator. I'm so excited to talk to you, and I feel like I've gone to... Uh, there's been two conferences now where you've been a speaker and I feel like the topics have been focused around Medicare, but before we jump into anything, I just kind of want to get a little background and talk about your experience and you were in the air force, right? Yeah. First of all, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I've been a pharmacist for 25 years that like really ages me. (laughs) But yeah, I I went into the Air Force as a pharmacist um, right out of pharmacy school because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I was always like that person like running down the hall, sliding across the door threshold, like as the bell was ringing, you know, like I was just really a disorganized mess. And I had a professor who was a retired Air Force pilot who sat me down and was like, I feel like you could use some structure in your life. And he was really like, kind of like a dad to me. And he was like, I don't think the army would be a good fit for you. And I was like, yeah, me neither. (laughs) He was like, but I, I think the Air Force would be good for you. So I was like, okay, (laughs) you know, like, okay, sure. So I did it. It ended up being the best thing that ever could have happened to me. It really, really was. I really enjoyed it. And then I was in for six years, but then after that, I worked as either a civilian or a contractor for one branch or another for the next 10 years after that. So I really had no exposure to insurance of any type, you know, not even Medicare. I mean, I barely knew TRICARE. There's no exchange of insurance or cash or anything like that. So then when I decided to make the transition to civilian medicine in 2014, I went to hospital pharmacy and went into infusion center pharmacy, I really had no idea what I was stepping into. It was like a super crash course. It was shocking. And it was like right about the time when um, all of the new immunotherapies were coming out. And um, people were just like going into debt right and left and abandoning therapies. So after that, then I started managing five infusion center pharmacies. And that's when I really started like noticing, oh, Mr. So-and-so or hasn't shown up for treatment for the last three cycles of whatever. And I'm just kind of a curious person. And so I thought, well, maybe they have transportation issues because it was a Catholic charity hospital. So I would call the patient 
and see what was going on. And they were like, no, I got three doses of Keytruda and now I'm 60,000 in debt. And no one told me how much this was going to cost me. And so I was like, oh, oh my gosh, you know, I had no idea. So it was about that time when FRMs started coming around with the drug reps and Mm. they were talking about the copay assistance and free drug programs. And I was like talking to my pharmacist and I was like, did you guys know about these programs? Like, hey, did, did anybody know about this? Like, you know, like on one hand, I've got these programs and on the other hand, I've got these patients who aren't being treated. Like, let's put this together. But I didn't know how. And so I was lucky because there was this one FRM from GSK who knew I wanted to do the right thing and didn't know how. And so she was like, okay, let's just enroll all your patients for Opdivo into the patient access program. And then every three weeks she would come back. Okay, let's do the next step. Let's do the next step. Let's do the next step. And she just taught me step-by-step how to do the patient assistance. And that's how I learned it. And so I, to this day, I have like this special place in my heart for FRMs because I know what they have the potential to do. That's amazing. I mean, when you think about the access there, there's so much support that they're able to do and they're focused specifically on that drug. So, you know, and each company has these field access coordinator or specialists And it makes such a huge difference on process. But first, I want to back up and say thank you for your service. It's amazing for anybody that is in Air Force and military. My dad was in the Air Force and I had a brother in the Air Force. But yeah, so I really appreciate your service. But, you know, it's really exciting to see that it takes somebody that has that passion and and has that curiosity to say, what is happening? Why are patients not sticking with their therapy. And this is just across the board. You know, it happens in every specialty. Doesn't matter what the medication is. Doesn't matter, you know, any of that. But when it comes to access, those barriers are really going to create a delay in access for patients. Yeah, I do think the military does teach you to like take that extra step. Because if you don't like, I know my supervisor is going to come to me and say, like, what are you waiting for? You know, like, are you waiting for somebody to come and do this for you? (laughs) You know, and so it's kind of like, it's kind of like built into you eventually, because, you know, it's kind of that self-discipline and that self-responsibility is hammered into you. So um, I, again, I... I just went from kind of like a goofy college kid into somebody who just straightened up and became responsible overnight by force, (laughs) whether I wanted to or not. So sometimes we got to do that. We need that one little push. (laughs) Your role as medication access coordinator, did that kind of come after or before a pharmacy or kind of during? I think I would say 
I became a medication access coordinator while I was managing the infusion centers. And then while I was a medication access coordinator, after I learned about Medicare, then I became a financial navigator. Because I think part of being a financial navigator is the insurance optimization piece. I think that's what differentiates the medication access coordinator because being a medication access coordinator is more about securing free drug and the manufacturer copay assistance and the foundation assistance. And all of that is fantastic. There's nothing, there's, you know, there's nothing bad or condescending about that. I think financial navigation is just taking it one step further by saying, how else can we decrease the patient's out-of-pocket expenses by working with their insurance? And during open enrollment time, I can compare their Medicare Part D plan or their Medicare Advantage plan to another Medicare Advantage plan and lower their out-of-pocket expenses that way. Or I can get them into the extra help program or I can get them into a Medicare savings program and I can lower their out-of-pocket expenses that way. Mm -hmm. So when you first start about going into pharmacy, did somebody suggest it to you, or have you had that thought in the back of your mind as far as going into medicine? Well, one thing I think people know about me is I'm pretty brutally honest. So I came from probably a less than stable home life. And my mom, from a very early age, she was very much about you're going to go to college. And so I think it was probably when I was a freshman or sophomore, she gave me a book of like, here are some majors that you can look at. And I was always kind of a math and science nerd. And so um, my best friend's sister was a pharmacist and she took me to an open house at St. Louis College of Pharmacy. And I listened and I was like, oh, this seems really interesting. And so I think it was my junior year of high school. I went ahead and I applied for pharmacy school. I took my ACT early and I got accepted and I got accepted into pharmacy school and I just was like, that's just what I'm going to do. And so it was really more for me about knowing that I'd be able to take care of myself and and I lucked out because I really do enjoy pharmacy, like the mechanism of actions of the drugs and how, you know, like the people that find the protein on the blood vessel that target, you know, something specific. I mean, those people are geniuses. They fascinate me. I think it's a fascinating field and the drugs that continue to come out that are so specialized and targeted. You know, I'm not going to say I had that foresight. I think I just really lucked out. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, we think of, you know, going to the pharmacy and the pharmacist is the one that's filling the medications for us. But I know that there's so much more that goes into it. I'm sure you have to review what other medications a patient is on and knowing, you know, what contraindications patients may have potentially, right? Yeah. And I would say besides that, there are so many different areas of pharmacy that you can practice in too. So like just working at Walgreens or Walmart is just one area of pharmacy. Like for me, I've always worked in a hospital setting. And then there are people who work in a ambulatory care setting where they're working like in a clinic, like maybe in a diabetes clinic, seeing patients in a clinic setting. There are people who make like the radioisotopes for MRI scans and things like Mm. that. There are infectious disease pharmacists. There are, God, I can't, I can't even think of, there's like 20 specialties now. It's, it's crazy how many different specialties there are. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm also a board certified oncology pharmacist. So I had to pass an exam and I have to do so many hours of continuing education every seven years to keep my board certification. But yeah, as far as the typical pharmacist, wherever the setting is, yeah, you've got to look at what other drugs they're on and see, are there any drug interactions? You have to look at what side effects could occur Um, And oftentimes when patients come back in, once you get to know them and they're experiencing side effects, you kind of have to be aware of the list of medications that they're on. And it's kind of like being a detective in a way and trying to figure out which one of these medications is causing that because we know one of them is, we're just not sure which one. Because it could be that three of them could be causing it, but which one is it? Then certain medications can't be used in certain disease states either. So it's so much more complicated than what I think society thinks of pharmacists. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've learned to not take it personally anymore after 25 years But I've had, you know, people think that I just went to like a six week training course, (laughs) you know, like, and I'm like, no, it was a little more complicated than that. When I first started as a pharmacist and I did work at a retail pharmacy and I called to get a, a refill approved, I had a doctor say to me, why are you calling? You're but you're a female. And I said, yeah, I know that, but, but females can also be pharmacists too. (laughs) So it's changed quite a bit in 25 years, but the reality is now it's a four-year undergraduate degree and then four years of pharmacy school. And then most of us will do at least a one-year general pharmacy residency. And then 
will do a one-year specialty residency. So I didn't do the specialty residency in oncology, but most people will do that specialty residency in oncology or infectious disease or whatever specialty they want to practice in. Some even do a fellowship. So it's starting to look more and more like medicine Mm -hmm. and I think that it has to go in that direction because the medications are becoming so much more complicated because of the biologics mm-hmm. and because of cell and gene therapy. Right. I think those are the two things that are driving us in that direction. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, with so many biologics and biosimilars that are coming out, I mean, that's a lot of work that goes into it. it. It is. And I think people don't think about the way that biologics are developed and the way that they're manufactured sets them up for different types of drug interactions, different types of side effects. So it gives them a whole different side effect profile that we have to be aware of especially on the oncology side. So like these new immunotherapies, like they don't act like traditional chemotherapy at all. So they don't destroy all cells. Like traditional chemo destroys both cancer cells and healthy cells. And these new immunotherapies, they just target the cancer cells But along with that, they target the immune system overall. And so there's all these immune system type side effects and toxicities that go along with it. And so it's forced pharmacists who may not even be oncology specialists to learn this new type of side effect profile and to look for all of these new different patterns. And it's been very complicated. And for the first few years, we were so unfamiliar with it that I don't think patients necessarily got the best standard of care with them. I think they are now, but for a while it was really rough going. Yeah. And then I can't even imagine how difficult it is when, you know, most patients are probably seeing a specialist, their primary or multiple specialists. So now, unless those providers are all connecting and communicating together about what the patient is on, you know, now you're probably getting all of that as well. So you see multiple different medications from all different ends. Yeah, that is hard. And I think That is a big topic for us is the medication reconciliation process, going through with the patient, all of the medications that they're on, trying to capture everything that the patient is taking just for safety reasons. Because if I leave one or two medications off and then we prescribe this new medication and I'm not aware of this other medication that could potentially be really deadly. 
Right. Well, you know, when I talk to offices and really help educate, you know, when it comes to prior authorization process, you know, patients will come in from seeing another provider or, you know, specifically in dermatology, they'll see another dermatologist. Maybe they moved out of state or, you know, whatever the case may be. So now we need to get that history. And if we don't have, you know, all the chart notes from the previous provider, now it's like, okay, well, what medications were you on? And then, you know, when patients are like, oh, it was a, it was a topical cream that was red and white too. And (laughs) I'm like, look, you know, we need this information because number one is important. You know, we can't necessarily do a prior authorization without it. So I always tell them, I'm like, call your pharmacy, you know, they will have that list of what medications been on. So I always suggest calling that pharmacy and getting a list of your medications. And, you know, it's so important and we really need to encourage patients to bring those updated lists every time you go to the doctor of any medications that you're taking so that we have that and we can keep that in your file so that we can make sure that the medications that you're being prescribed, you know, there's not a conflict there. So. No, that's a great point. And I'm sure it's even harder for Durham because at least for the other practices, you know, they can say, well, it was a little round white pill, which you would think is not helpful, but for cream, like there's endless white creams out there for dermatology. But yeah, I would say like, I think it would it would be in the patient's best interest to ask for a printout of all of their medications before they leave the pharmacy each time. And I know that's a pain in the butt for the pharmacist, but it's so important for patients who need specialized medications or who have to repeatedly apply like getting that history of medications is so important and it will speed up the process because otherwise then that means you have to call the pharmacy and try to get that list of medications from a pharmacist. Patients who are engaged in their own health is so valuable if they just keep a running list on their own. I've had some patients who bless their hearts, are so engaged in their own health, have created Excel spreadsheets and list their own medications and they'll update them as soon as they come back from the doctor's offices. And I'm so impressed by them, you know, like to be that involved. I think it's fantastic. That is impressive. (laughs) Yeah. It would be nice to see that more often. Maybe not always in a Excel spreadsheet, but at least some running list. Let's take a quick break to hear from Prescriber Point. If you're like me, you're tired of browsing for drug resources all over the web. With Prescriber Point, I can find prescribing and coverage information, prior authorization forms, patient assistance programs, and more for over 35,000 drugs. Prescriber Point is your free AI-powered assistant that makes your life easier and gets your patients on therapy faster. Get started with a free account or request a demo at prescriberpoint.com slash that's derm good. So we know exactly yeah. what it is. You know, the other that I always try to get is the pharmacy benefit information because that doesn't always cross over. 
you know, when I first started working in the medical field, you know, I worked at the front desk and at the dermatology office, we typically would just get an insurance card. You know, it was only, that was the only thing that we really needed. We never needed a pharmacy benefit card. And then when I started doing the prior authorizations, I quickly realized that we need that pharmacy benefit information so we can do those prior authorizations. And, you know, so now I see it starting to to get better in offices when you're collecting it, but it's still not a habit, you know, so it's like a pharmacy insurance card. Yeah. The pharmacy insurance card, um, you know, because it makes it a lot easier when we're trying to do those prior authorizations. So sometimes if they don't have it, then either we have to call and get that information from the pharmacy. But, you know, if it's another one of those cases where patient doesn't have their full list of what they've tried and failed, you know, the medications, then we can typically ask them, okay, get that list of your medications and then also get your pharmacy benefit information if you don't know it. Because a lot of times they're like, what are you talking about? Like the card that you give to the pharmacy. Right. You know, I was just talking to a social worker yesterday about this, and we were saying how patients don't know that oftentimes that they have a different card for pharmacy that then is different for their medical benefits. And oftentimes that leads to them not knowing that they have a different out-of-pocket maximum for their medical benefits than they do their pharmacy benefits. Mm. So um, they oftentimes get lured into a different like Medicare Advantage plan saying, well, it's a $0 deductible plan, not telling them it's a $8,000 maximum out-of-pocket benefit, you know, and they don't understand that the part D part of it is a different maximum out-of-pocket benefit as well. So, yeah. Medicare is a tough cookie. It is. (laughs) So how did you become an expert in Medicare? This came from my frustration with my inability to figure out Medicare when I was a medication access coordinator. I could not figure out the difference between a Medicare Advantage plan and a Medicare supplement and a Medigap. Like this FRM, she continued to do education with me and my team. And I just, I couldn't grasp it. So I looked online and I was like, surely there has to be like some classes or something that I can take online. So I saw that if I volunteered for senior services of Southeastern Virginia for four hours a week, that they would teach me these 19 Medicare modules for free. And so I signed up and I went through the 19 modules and that wasn't even the valuable part. The valuable part was getting to train with these certified Medicare benefits counselors for four hours a week and listening to them. So they would work with what we call new to Medicare patients and they would be signing up 
patients brand new to Medicare. And I would listen to them. And that's how it started to click. And that was invaluable. And I learned so much about Medicare that way. And then I was like, oh, now I get it. As I was sitting there listening, I was thinking, oh, we could be doing this and we could be doing that. And here's how we could incorporate it. And here's how it could help our patients. And then at the same time, I was thinking like, why doesn't everybody have access to this information? Like everybody should know this. This is so valuable. So then I just thought there's got to be a way to break this information down into bite-sized chunks so that everybody can understand it. So that has been my goal when I go to talk at conferences is just to make it less intimidating because it was so intimidating for me. I thought, I'll never learn this. This is just too over my head. And that's what I'm trying to do is make everybody feel like they can learn this. Mm -hmm. They can get it too. Yeah. As a bio coordinator myself, that has been probably one of the biggest things that I struggle with is really being able to explain the benefits and explain the issues that, you know, that come with, you know, writing up for a biologic. And now we've got to do a prior authorization and helping patient understand that, yes, your insurance approved it, but you've got this really high copay. And now we've got to apply for a patient assistance. And, you know, there's, there's so many things that go into it or understanding, you know, now in dermatology, we don't have very many, but, you know, I think I see it a lot more in allergy and asthma where the buy and bill side where Medicare probably does cover it if it's approved, but on the medical, on the pharmacy benefits, not covered. So, you know, we don't have very many biologics that go under the medical benefits. So it's mostly all pharmacy. So it makes it a little bit more difficult, you know, and now we've got to figure out patient assistance and do they qualify? And then that's a whole other thing. That's kind of a good thing, at least for your Medicare patients, because in 2024, with the Inflation Reduction Act, the 5% catastrophic coverage phase is going to be eliminated once they reach that catastrophic coverage phase. And I can't remember, it's like $7,000 or whatever then it's like they don't pay that 5% coinsurance anymore. It's like they've met their maximum out-of-pocket limit and everything is covered after that. And then in 2025, the maximum out-of-pocket limit is $2,000. Okay. Your dermatology patients are really going to benefit from the Inflation Reduction Act. So, and that will be for the pharmacy benefits? Yep. Mm -hmm. That would be huge. I knew about the act, but I wasn't 100% sure on how that would affect any of our biologic patients or even just on the pharmacy benefit side. I didn't know if it was just only on the medical benefits. So that's really good information and it's good to know. Yeah. The other thing I would say for biologic coordinators is there are so many Medicare patients or elderly patients that qualify for the low income subsidy that don't even know it. I, it's over 50%. It's very high. 
So I would encourage people to go to the Social Security Administration website, either that or go to NCOA, N-C-O-A, and to enroll patients or apply for the low income subsidy or extra help because a lot of patients qualify for it and don't even know it because so many patients just live off of social security benefits. And if they qualify, then that brings their pharmacy benefit co-payment for brand name down to $10.35. Oh, wow. Or $4.35, something like that. It's $10 and $4. And if they qualify for extra help, there's a good chance that they also qualify for Medicare savings programs, which you can apply for through the state. But if they qualify for the Medicare savings programs, that pays for their Part B premiums, which is $170, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you only are making 20 some thousand dollars a year, $170 a month, it, that's groceries to someone. Right. It's a huge deal. So that's, I think, what I really took away from all of my Medicare training is just how little our elderly patients are living off of and that they're struggling silently because they're too proud to say anything about it. It's just that generation that don't talk about it. And they're really the ones that are making those choices between medication and uh, electricity or food. They're the ones that you give the prescription to or you do that electronic prescription and they never go and pick it up and they just don't tell you that they yeah. don't have the money. And that it. just goes to show how important it is for education and for Number one, us as biologic coordinators or access coordinators or anybody that's talking to the patient to help them get that access. It's so important to be educated and aware of these resources that are available so that we can look at all the avenues and make sure that we're able to really help our patients and help them feel confident in knowing that there is the availability for you to get this medication. There's support out there. There's things that we can do to really ensure that you are able to have this really good quality of life and not have to suffer in silence or, you know, choose between electricity or your health. Yeah. And that yeah. should never be a choice. Yeah. I'm creating some flyers for open enrollment that gives instructions on how to enroll themselves in low-income subsidy and extra help. I'm happy to send those to you. Like They're meant to be office resources so that you can send them out to offices if you wanted to. I'm creating them for a certain office, but to me, they can be used at any office. And I just think people are missing out on resources that should have already been put in place. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's only a couple of ship offices in every state and they can't cover everything. Mm. And the reality is they wait for the patients to come to ship 
well, the patients don't even know about the ship offices. Hmm. And so really the resources need to come to the patient. Right. And so we, we really have to spread the news that way. Yeah, absolutely. So you are a co-founder and officer at Namapa. Yeah, we talked to Melissa. We've talked to uh, Elizabeth. So it's exciting uh, to hear about NAMAPA and the advocacy and everything that you guys are doing over there. I think that's really exciting. But I also saw that you went on a really long trip (laughs) out of the country. I saw this on LinkedIn. Where did you go? Okay, so we went to Italy. We hiked in the Dolomites the Alps in Northern Italy. And the backstory is I worked for the army in Germany back in 2010 to 2013. And I got into hiking over there and there's these things called via ferratas and they're like hiking slash climbing courses. And they're like steel pegs that are like nailed into the Alps. And that's the way they used to transport supplies and people during the world wars. And now they're reinforced now as climbing obstacle courses, but you might climb up and then climb over and up and over, but you're like, you've got a harness and you're clipped in and you, you know, you're climbing But they're extremely difficult. And I did these things 10 years ago. But Italy has the hardest ones out of all of the ones in the Alps. And I had not done them since 2013. So, you know, I have gone through some personal challenges recently and I wanted to do something to get my confidence back. And I saw this trip. And so I said, well, who who would go with me on this crazy trip? I know Elizabeth would go with me on this crazy trip. (laughs) So I call her in January and ask her if she wants to go with me. And she's like, hell yeah, I'll go with you. So so we go and we train for six months to go on this. And I'll tell you that I I still did not train enough because I I thought there were several days where I thought I was gonna die on this trip. It was it was so hard, but we we went and we did a week's worth of acclimation hikes prior. And then we got to Italy and um, the very first day, I mean, it was a group of four and Liz and I, the other two people with us, we didn't know them, but they were like speed hikers. Like they hiked faster. I was like, why are you hiking this fast? Like I can't even stop to take pictures, you know, like this is ridiculous. So my goal was I wanted to do hut to hut hiking and stay up in the Alps because I had only ever like did these via ferratas and, and first of all, I had only done a via ferrata, like one of them every two weeks. I had never done back to back to back ones. 
And this was cramming like seven of them in seven days. Wow. And on day one, I thought, I'm going to die. There's no way I'm going to make it through this, you know. (laughs) And when I saw the pace or when I felt the pace, I was like, oh, my God, I'm I'm really going to die. And so there was one, one Via Ferrata, the longest Via Ferrata in the Dolomites. And at the three quarter mark, there's what's called an escape route where you can get off of it. And we were about three quarters of the way up to the escape route. And I was breaking down mentally and physically. And I started crying. And I was like, I'm like, I'm not going to make it. I was just so exhausted. Uh, You know, like, you know, it was just literally one slow step after one slow step. And Liz yelled at me, like, you know, stop crying. There's no way off this mountain. Like there were several ex expletives that she screamed at me in front of everyone. And then like lifting me up and she was like, you're going to get off this mountain, whether it kills you or not. And, <laughs> and I, I feel like it's kind of representative for how Namapa has been for all of us. You know, like we have all been through some major life challenges and I've never met a group of women who have been there for each other in a tough love, but supportive way. And it's, it's like, they have forced me to believe in myself, whether I wanted to or not. And I just really couldn't be more grateful for their friendship and support. That is impressive going through all of that, but I'm sure it taught you some amazing life lessons and continue to push through the hard times and know that it's going to be amazing at the end. Yeah. It'll be a major sense of accomplishment at the end. And then the crazy thing is that we're signing up to do it again next year. Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because like we, the acclimation hikes, I mean, I feel like we, we almost killed ourselves every day, like doing something stupid every day, but we just saw the most amazing things over there. But, you know, we were kind of naive we should have packed things that we didn't pack. And, you know, we could have gotten ourselves into a lot of trouble, but we'll be smarter this next time. But, um, you know, Liz and I are very compatible hikers together. And I just want to mention, she's a good 15 years younger than me. So she has a lot more energy than I do. So after we got done with these hikes, we would get back to the room and she'd be like, I want to go walk around the town. And I would be like, you know what? Go for it because I'm going to go to bed right now. (laughs) So thank you so much, Geraldine, for spending some time 
with me and it was so good to to talk to you and to hear about your passion for advocacy and and as a pharmacist and and patient advocate i think it's so exciting and it's motivating you know to be inspired and to keep inspiring others i think that is so exciting yeah i'm so happy you're doing this podcast i was so excited for you and yeah. You know, I have much love and respect for biologics coordinators. You know, I just want to encourage all of the biologics coordinators to just hang in there because I know it's not a glorious job. Thank you. I appreciate that. You oftentimes don't get recognition from your your own leadership. People don't know how the work gets done. They just know it gets done somehow. But I think, you know, there are people who who do recognize the hard work and whether the patients know it's you or not, they do appreciate that there's somebody behind the scenes doing the work and, you know, just keep believing in yourself. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me and we will talk again soon. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending a few minutes with me and listening to That's Derm Good. You can expect new episodes of That's Derm Good every other week. The podcast is available on your favorite app, including where you're listening right now. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Bye.